The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. Before we get started, uh, I want to talk about this this 40 40 days of water that we're doing here at Artisan. If you weren't here last week, um, you didn't hear this, but maybe you caught it in the e-news or on the website. We're, we're participating in this uh, specialized fast during the season of Lent, where we have, um, some of us anyway, decided to drink nothing but tap water throughout the season of Lent, and to save the money that we would use to buy other things, whether they're morning beverages or evening beverages or midday beverages, and um, to donate that money to clean water initiatives in Uganda. And as you know, we have a, a good connection with the Ugandan Water Project, um, a charity organization that uh, we've had lots of good experiences with so far. And so um, Shane very kindly donated a gigantic receptacle here, carboy. We'll have to um, rack this money out, I think, but um, that's, a, that's a little beer brewer inside baseball there. Um, so if you, if you have uh, money that you would have spent on coffee, tea, soda, beer, wine, etc., um, you, can, you can put it in the carboy, and we will find a way to get it out at the end of Lent, I promise. <laughs> and that's going to be here, so maybe uh, like during communion or something, if you have that money, if you brought it with you today, you can, you can put it in there. If you, if you didn't bring it with you, you can keep it and bring it next week. You can also give online. We have a special um, category of online giving at uh, artisanchurch.com slash giving that says 40 days of water, and so that'll get recorded properly. You can also write a check and mark it 40 days. Um, so did any, anybody, is anybody doing this? Show of hands, anybody who's, whoa, that's a lot of hands. You guys are awesome. How bad was that this past week? <laughs> How hard was that? Yeah, it's like I'm seeing somebody go like this. It was this hard. <laughs> Well, one thing that you may not know, because I forgot to tell you conveniently last week, is that Lent is actually 40 days plus the Sundays. So the 40 days of water doesn't have to include the Sundays during Lent if you don't want it to. Um, <laughs> don't everybody rush out to get coffee just now. But, um, so if you are participating in this fast and you would like to take Sundays off, you're more than welcome to. If you want the extra challenge, that's okay too. Uh, and the last thing I would say about this is that if you have not started yet and you're thinking, oh, no, I have to wait a whole year before I get to do this, that's not actually true um, because wouldn't it be better to start today or tomorrow than not to start at all this year? And if you're thinking, oh, I can't possibly give up my morning coffee, I would, I'd get fired like on Tuesday. Um, just, just adapt it. Make it work for you um, in a way, you know, maybe you're only giving up coffee or you're only giving up the evening thing. Anything is better than nothing, and I would definitely encourage you all to participate on some level uh, if you can. So the 40 days of water carboy is right here. You can um, put money in there or uh, whenever it's convenient for you. So let's get underway here. Um, the other thing that we're doing during Lent, as you remember from last week, is we're going to hear the lectionary passages read aloud each week, all of them, 
Now, you've already heard today's psalm reading, um, but let me ask Amy to come up, and she has our Old Testament reading, which is from Genesis chapter 12, and we've uh, marked the page numbers on our slides here, so if you'd like to follow along in your Bible, you're more than welcome to, but you, it's okay just to listen to these words, too. Seth has our New Testament reading. This is Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, 13 through 17. What then are we to say was gained by Abraham, our ancestor according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now to one who works, wages are not reckoned as a gift, but as something due. But to one who without works trusts him who justifies the ungodly, such faith is reckoned as righteousness. For the promise that would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. It is to the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs. Faith is null, and the promise is void. The law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason, it depends on faith. The holders of the promise may rest on grace, which is guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham. For he is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, he gives life to the dead and calls into existence things. And our final reading today is the Gospel reading, and it's traditional when you're engaging with all the passages this way to stand during the reading of the Gospel, so let me ask you to stand together, and I will read John 3, 1 through 17. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? 
Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one who has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that through the world, the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. May God bless the hearing of his word. You can be seated. So the way that we're doing this series has already proven to be a little bit challenging to me. And uh, if you weren't here last week to hear this explanation, I'll give it to you briefly. What, what we're doing here during a, the sermon time is uh, reading all those passages from the lectionary, and I'm giving a very brief, much briefer than usual, homily or sermon on those texts. And then in the second half, or second part of the sermon, I'm talking about a specific spiritual discipline or practice or technique uh, that, the, that the church has used throughout its existence and uh, encouraging you to try it for yourself. And so it's been a little difficult for me because um, it's hard for me to restrain the sound of my own voice uh, a little bit. And I had you know, to think, like, I'm used to talking for a certain length of time about these texts, and I, now I'm, I'm, I'm just forcing myself to say one very simple, small thing about uh, the texts. And um, it's already been a really good exercise for me, and I, I hope that it's been maybe nice for you not to hear me go on and on so much. But um, just like last week, there's all kinds of things we could talk about from these passages, right? Um, we could talk about what it means to be born from above. In some translations, in the much more common parlance is to be born again. It's the same, same little verse that gets used both ways, but our translation said born from above. We could talk about what that means, what it has come to mean, what it originally means. Um, we could do that. We could talk about that, that reading from the book of John and how we really would prefer just to have the, uh, the field goal sign verse John 3.16 and ignore the rest of it, right? Um, especially the one after it about Jesus not coming to the world to condemn people. Um, we could talk about that, about John 3.16 and how it's the most famous verse in the Bible, perhaps. Did you know, by the way, that the, that very famous verse in the Bible, For God So Loved the World, comes from the story of Jesus talking with Nicodemus on the roof? Maybe you didn't even know that. We could have talked about that. Um, we could talk about that passage from Romans, which once again was very dense and maybe, maybe pretty confusing, um, and then we could talk about the whole interplay between faith and works and what Paul was trying to say about Christian theology and how it relates to its Jewish roots. Um, but we're not going to do any of those things. Um, what I want to talk about is just this one quick idea. And I want to talk about the call of Abram, who later was renamed by God Abraham. And Paul refers to him as such in, in that passage in Romans. This, the calling of Abram in Genesis chapter 12 is, is the place in the Bible, I think, where the history of God's people really gets going. In a, in a, it kind of gets real serious at that point. Everything that follows in the story of God's people is a result of that particular moment where God called Abram and Abram responded. 
Um, the whole history of the people of Israel is, is based on that. Uh, and of course, Christianity began out of Judaism, and so the entire history of Christianity has that giant root. Um, and so everything that we practice and teach and believe and know about our faith begins with this moment, with the call of Abram in Genesis chapter 12. And honestly, we could talk about that for the full, you know, for the rest of our time together this morning. But the, the simple thing that I want to make, the observation that I want to make about that passage is this. Abram was called by God to he knew not what. Where did God say he was calling him to? He didn't say, did he? At the end of verse 1, he says, Go to the land that I will show you. That being the future tense. In other words, history is come away from that to the land that I will show you. That must have been a really difficult thing to say yes to. Wouldn't you agree? If God said to you all of a sudden, leave your family behind and go to the land that I'll show you. My first question might be, well, show me when. <laughs> when do I get to be shown? And why can't I bring everybody with me? And is this really God? <laughs> <laughs> and so Abram had no idea what he was being called to, and yet he had such a faith in God that he answered yes. He said, I will go. His faith in God led him to answer this very difficult call. And so as we think about Abram, Abraham as our spiritual father, as it were, I wonder if, if we might treat that response to God as a model for how we ought to respond to God in our own lives. And I wonder if there's some of you here in the room who've, uh, maybe you've been attending here for a little while, and, and things just seem to be shifting in your soul just a little bit. Maybe you feel like you've had some new experience with God, some, some authentic experience with Him that, that you hadn't had before. Um, maybe because you've never been in church in your whole life, but maybe because you had and you had just been stagnant and stale, and you had just taken it as given that this was your story. And you've, you've, begin to f- you've begun to feel the, the faith that is in your soul shift and deepen and become a little bit more meaningful. Maybe a little bit more like Abram's faith, where it might be strong enough now for you to do something a little bit bold. And so I want to say to those of you who are in that group that it might be that you've never thought of your faith as a journey, as a trip. You may have been thinking about your faith as a destination that you already reached, whether it was because you prayed the sinner's prayer or whether it was because you were confirmed in the church that you grew up in. And maybe, maybe you've been in the same spot, spiritually speaking, that you were since you were 12 years old or since you were 18 when you quit going to youth group or 
whatever your particular signpost of faith might be, you haven't really thought about this as a journey, as, a, as an ongoing process that requires motion and effort. And you've been sort of sitting still, maybe stuck in the land of your father and your mother, as Abram was. And what I want to say to you is that I believe that God is calling you to movement. He's calling you up and away from that comfort and that complacency to something new. And Abram was, if we were to go on and read the story, he spent a lot of time on the move. He was in the desert the rest of his life. And the promise that God made to him that he would become the father of a great nation was a very complicated one because he was really old, and so was his wife. And so he was called up out of that comfort, and I believe that God might be calling you, some of you in particular, up out of that comfort, out of the land of your spiritual ancestry. And you ask, what, to what exact destination would God be calling me? Well, I'm sorry, but you don't get to know. It's to the land that he will show you. Abram didn't get to know. He, he left his household with a promise, not with a map. It required a step of faith on his part, maybe a giant leap of faith. And by the way, the, the first disciples whom Jesus called, they didn't get to know either. He said what to them? Come follow me. And they said, well, show me your business plan. Where are we going exactly? No. They either went with him or they didn't. And some of them hemmed and hawed and said, let me take care of this thing at home first. And he said, I'm going. Follow me now. That's the way the life of faith works. You don't get to know necessarily where you're going. And so some of them did follow him, and others went away sad. You don't get to know where you're going, but you do get a promise. And the promise, I think, comes from the, the Gospel of John, that if you have faith in Jesus, the promise is everlasting life. The promise is new life. Something different. And if God is calling you right now, I think some of you already kind of get this, but there's others of you that, that maybe God is speaking to you in a way that's making you a little uncomfortable at the moment, but you know it. You know that that's what's happening. You're hearing that call in your heart, and you might be a little bit scared by that, a little bit uncomfortable because of it. You're thinking of the comfort and complacency and rootedness that you might have to give up. But because you've been having this new experience with God that I talked about a minute ago, where your soul seems to be shifting and deepening and connecting to Him in a new way, because of that, I believe that you have the faith to answer that call just as Abram did. And to say, I will go, just as the first disciples did. To say, I will follow Jesus. 
And the other thing that you have, by the way, is a wonderful community of faith here that will support you in that decision, will support you and encourage you on that journey as you, as you shift from being static to being dynamic, as you shift from being motionless to being moving. We're here and we love you and, and, and we're all kind of struggling to do that same thing the best we can and so we will support you in that effort. And so if you are hearing that call from God right now, and I know that some of you probably are, I'm going to ask you to do something um, fairly simple. And we're, uh, you know, we're, not, we're not really an altar call type of church here. Um, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not quite how most of us tend to respond in faith, to, you know, the come forward and, and let me pray for you thing. Um, but what I would like you to do in a minute, I'm going to ask you to do something very simple, and that's just to stand up. If you are having a new moment with God, if you're hearing that call from God and you want to say to him, yes, God, I will go, in a minute I'm just going to ask you to stand up right where you are. I'm going to pray for you, and then you can sit right back down, um, and you don't need to be frightened to do that. But I think that what we do with our bodies actually does impact what's happening in our hearts sometimes. And if we can just clamp our butts into those seats for two minutes while the pastor prays, we will weather this and we can go home in peace. But if you stand up, he might call you later in the week or email you or something. We wouldn't want that. But this involves using the muscles in your legs, which I think is a wonderful symbolism for somebody who's saying to God, yes, I'm going to go. I'm done sitting on my ass. I'm going to go and do something. This is, a new, this is a new thing for me. So let me, without any more preface, ask you if that's the experience that you're having in your heart right now, just to stand up. And I will pray for you from here. And I won't come down and bother you. <laughs> Let's pray. God, we look to the example of our spiritual father, Abram, and to the example of the first disciples who boldly said in response to the call of Jesus that they would follow, they would go, they would leave the comfort and safety of their home and go to something new. And I am so grateful to you for the the profound way that you've spoken to these individuals who are standing here now. Thank you for the fact that you are real and present among us and that you speak to our hearts. And I pray for each one of these people standing in the room now that you would give them the courage to take the steps that you call them to. That though their journey may be long and difficult and impossible to explain as Abram's was and as the disciples' journeys were, that your presence would be among them, that their faith would be the strengthening power in their new journey.
and that in the new motion in their life, God, you would, you would do great things. That they would be the hands and feet of Jesus in a hurting world. That they would be an example of your light. And that through it all, their souls would be strengthened and bonded to you and to each other. And that your name would be glorified and raised up wherever they go. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thank you for being brave and standing up in a room full of people. And uh, I simply don't have a good enough memory to email all of you this week, like I hinted at that I might. So you can, you can hope that I don't. <laughs> um, but would you please do me the honor of uh, getting in touch with me. You can talk to me afterward, or you can, my email and phone number are both in the bulletin. You can get in touch with me and just let me know what, what's going on with you, what, what that was about just now. Um, and I'll do my best to follow up with some of you as well, but I, I, just, I promise that I will forget. Um, I've already forgotten every, everybody that I looked out and saw standing up, so um, please do get in touch with me. And, and another way you can do that is through the info card, which is one of the reasons I wanted you to have that. So you can write your name down and, and just a you know, brief little story and, and a way to contact you, and I'll get back in touch with you. I'd love to talk with you. I really would love to talk with you more about what, what's going on with you. So um, Let me shift gears just a little bit, and uh, you can see that I'm, I'm not... It didn't quite stick to being as short as I'd hoped to be, but I do want to talk briefly about the discipline of pilgrimage with you, which I think is a great discipline to look at today, given the passage of Scripture that we focused on and and the experience that some of you just had, because the the discipline of pilgrimage um, is, uh, I think, a, a physical enactment, a manifestation of the spiritual reality that just went on in the lives of, you know, a dozen or so of you and which may already have been going on in in others' lives. Um, Let me define for you what pilgrimage is. I I would define it this way. Uh, It's a journey to a sacred place undertaken for the purpose of spiritual challenge and growth. Pretty simple idea. It's a journey to a sacred place undertaken for the purpose of spiritual challenge and growth. And this is like all the disciplines that we'll talk about during this series, it's got a long history of being practiced within the church. You can read many, many, many accounts of early Christians traveling to holy sites of the faith, whether it's Jerusalem where, uh, where Christ's passion occurred, whether it's Rome where the apostles Peter and Paul are buried, or Santiago, Spain, which just means St. James, Santiago, uh, where James the apostle traveled uh, according to uh, one story. Um, and these, these Christians, these pilgrims, would go to these places so that they could walk where the heroes of the faith walked. That would be a pretty amazing thing. You could go to Jerusalem today and walk on a road where Jesus himself walked. And do you think that would make it a little bit more real for you? This may be a little easier to comprehend if you think about it in a secular way. Many sports fans do a similar thing. Anybody a sports fan, like a baseball fan who who's ever had the dream of going to every major league stadium? There's some of you in this room, right, who are like that. Or uh, a hockey fan who wants to go to the original, is it six or eight teams? I, I don't really follow hoser ball that much. but um, Or maybe like a NASCAR fan who wants to uh, go in his backyard and run in a circle 500 times. Like that. 
I'm not sure what kind of thing would be a pilgrimage for a NASCAR fan. But you get the point. You go to these places. Let's say you're a baseball fan and you go to every baseball stadium. Suddenly, you've been to Wrigley Field. You've been to all the places where these famous players were. And suddenly, you have a deeper understanding of the thing that you're passionate about. Well, pilgrimage is the same thing when it comes to our faith. You can go to places that are profoundly impactful. And you you suddenly have a deeper appreciation and and feeling for what this is. Um, Biblical pilgrims all throughout the Bible, not only Abram and Sarai, Abraham and Sarah, we just talked about a little bit, but Moses and the Israelites wandered for 40 years. Jesus spent most of his adult life on the move. Uh, Paul undertook several missionary journeys, and the other apostles followed in his footsteps. Um, the story of the prodigal son, in some ways, is a, is a journey out and a journey back. Um, and in a way, all Christians are on a, a spiritual journey of sorts, aren't we? We've just talked about that. But I want to talk about the literal pilgrimage where you actually physically go somewhere. Um, there's modern versions of this that might be easier because as the history of Christianity has expanded, of course, there's way, way more special places that, has, that have been experienced. So you could, you could um, do this according to your theological or denominational background, and maybe you want to go to Loyola where Ignatius was, or you want to go to Aldersgate where John Wesley had a, a spiritual experience, or you want to go to uh, see the Wittenberg door where Martin Luther tacked his 95 theses, or you want to go to, the, uh, to see the pulpit where John Calvin preached, or... Um, all kinds of different things that, that maybe are in your faith tradition where you could do. Let me tell you about one thing that I did um, when Tracy and I were in Ireland for our 10th anniversary. We went to uh, Kildare, and this is St. Bridget's Cathedral. St. Bridget uh, is one of the patron saints of Ireland. She was uh, influenced by St. Patrick's teaching, and she has a great poem, prayer, that some of you are familiar with, where she says, I, I would like to see a great lake of ale for the King of Kings. And I would like the, the, the family of God to be drinking it throughout all eternity together. Um, and so I, I've always thought that was kind of a cool prayer. And so I went to, when we were in Ireland, I said to Tracy, you can take me anywhere in the country you want to go. I don't care what we do and in what order. I just want to go to Kildare so I can see St. Bridget's Cathedral. And so uh, I happened to get this was the best photograph I got in the whole trip. Um, and then the next one is the interior of the cathedral. Um, and so you can imagine the feeling that I had when I was in this place, just suddenly going, wow, like, this is Bridget of Kildare from the 5th and 6th century. She knew St. Patrick, and I'm standing in this cathedral right now. It's pretty amazing. Um, but it doesn't even happen. I mean, this was, that was a pretty big trip. It's not cheap to go to Ireland. So I, I want to encourage you that you can do pilgrimage on a much smaller level. In fact, when we talk about spiritual disciplines at Artisan, we usually talk about them in three stages or three phases. And some of you have done our annual spiritual formation plan. This will sound familiar to you. But we talk about it this way. What is some way you can practice this discipline this, this month? And I might even say this week. You could start working on it. And then what is something that you, a way you can do it a little bit bigger in the next six months? And so you'll be planning that. And then finally, maybe in the next year, is there something even more significant that you could do with this discipline? So if it's fasting, like we talked about last week, you could start out with a small fast this month. And then you could practice that a couple times. And then during the next six months, you make it a little bit longer. And then during the next year, you can make it even longer. The same thing could be true of pilgrimage. Because you can take a pilgrimage... uh, you know, you could take a pilgrimage to the top of this hill right here 
on a Sunday afternoon. And suddenly you're, you go up there and you're surrounded by this little grove of trees kind of thing and, and you've never been up there and, you, and you're, you're, you're at your spiritual home but you've walked a little bit. Your body has been in motion and suddenly you're in a new experience and you're seeing things from a new angle. That would be a form of pilgrimage. You could go to uh, you know, the most beautiful place you know of within two hours and spend half a day there. That would be a pilgrimage. Read your Bible uh, sitting on the edge of Letchworth Gorge or something like that. That could be a pilgrimage. Um, and so, I simply want to encourage you to think about tr- starting to try a pilgrimage. Um, this is a discipline that most of you probably have never done, intentionally at least. Maybe you've had an experience like this, but you didn't think of it that way. And sometimes when you think of it intentionally, it, it takes root even more deeply. So, I'm going to give you just a minute of silence as we transition to communion and um, I would encourage you to write something down. I know I say that all the time, but really, if you just think about it, you'll go, oh, sure, that sounds good, and then you'll forget it. So write it down, and you can, you're more than welcome to put it on an info card and send it to me, and we can talk back and forth about how that would work for you. Um, but maybe as you're praying or thinking about coming to the communion table, you could also be thinking about a way that you could practice the discipline of pilgrimage uh, for the first time. In the next week or month, to get started. And then if it works, well, it works out well, you can think about six months and a year out. Um, <clears throat> so as Mike comes and, and we continue to worship in song, the communion table will be open. And I'd invite any of you who are seeking to follow Jesus in this place, particularly those of you who have stood this morning to respond to him in a new way, to come and partake of this uh, sacrament, to receive the bread and the cup in faith and a remembrance of his broken body and shed blood as food for your souls and as an as a act of unity together. Come to his table. Answer his call in that way. Uh, and we'll continue to worship together in song. And, and you can spend a few minutes in silence. You don't need to rush. We'll have that be available to you for the rest of our time together this morning. So if you want to think about your pilgrimage first and then come, you can do that. Uh, and you can certainly go and retrieve your children and have them participate in this with you, that would be okay. Or you can get them right after you're done if you prefer to do it uh, without them. But the table is open now, and I'd invite you to come in response to the call of Jesus on your life uh, as soon as you hear it. This has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com slash podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening.